0: If you live in the London area, you have almost certainly heard that there are more than a few places in the area that are haunted. Some people believe the stories, others are a little more skeptical. Whether you believe or not, there are a few things that can get the hair on your arms standing up like a good ghost story. Welcome to part two of Ghost Town, a five-part series of the Blackburn News Podcast, looking at some of the haunted areas of our region. Here's your host, Julie Boulevard.
1: There are seven potential traits of a place being haunted, and for the average haunting, there's usually only one expression of a spirit being present. They're small occurrences like the sound of footsteps, feelings of unease, or temperature fluctuations. They're often hard to hear or see, and usually too insignificant to pay attention to. But though they start small, ghosts are said to develop in stages, gaining the ability to exhibit several expressions of a haunting. Sometimes, it's just a more amplified version of the trait it already shows. But what happens when a ghost manifests into the most rare of all stages? What if they're a speaking, walking, object-moving, full-bodied apparition? What if they can whisper words in your ear and brush the hair on the back of your head? Is it harmless, safe, or is it a sign of worse things to come? This is Ghost Town, a Blackburn News podcast. Today, we examine the haunting of the Grand Theatre in London and the ghost of Ambrose Small, former National Theatre tycoon.
0: Ambrose Small was, as I mentioned, sort of a theatre tycoon, so he owned many theatres and he ran a a number of other theatres. In 1919, he actually sold all of his theatres including the London Grant, um, for a record amount of money, about $1.7 million, which is around $26 million, give or take, right now. But the day that he actually sold all of that, uh, all of his properties, he deposited the money in the bank, and then he completely disappeared. No one has ever seen anything about him since that day, but he was a really larger-than-life character. So the time he disappeared, he was about 53 years old, um, he, We know that he was a fairly ruthless businessman. He liked to gamble and, uh, and he had interesting relationships with a number of women, including his wife, his mistress, and there were potentially other women that he was involved with as well. So there were a lot of potential people that he had crossed in his lifetime. Uh, and he had all of this money, but the money never left the account. So he didn't touch the money. And he just completely disappeared on December second, nineteen nineteen, and actually, no one reported him missing for two weeks. <laughs> um, and in the end, his business partner did. Uh, his wife did not report him missing um, because she said that she was used to him sort of disappearing sometimes, and he figured she figured he would return at some point. Um, But he was never seen again. And it was such big news because there was so much money involved and he was such a larger-than-life
1: character. That was Trina Davies, who's currently writing a play called Grand Ghosts, which is set to feature within the haunted building and is centered around the story of Ambrose Small, his disappearance, and possibly his return. Uh, There were
0: psychics involved in the investigation that went on for several years. Uh, And because there was also a reward, there was a $50,000 reward for information that would find him alive or a $15,000 reward for any uh, information leading to the discovery of his remains. Neither was ever um, cashed, but there was so much money on the line that uh, it created this kind of bounty hunter experience for, uh, for quite a while. And uh, I understand it was a joke in Ontario for many decades afterwards that if people were digging holes in their backyard. Their neighbours might ask them, what are you looking for, Ambrose small? Uh, <laughs> thinking that uh, if they found some remains that they might uh, uh, get lucky.
1: Although his body may never be found, his ghost has made itself a home in his favourite spot. The place he built from the ground up, London's Grand Theatre. Bonnie Deacon worked at the Grand for 10 years as a costume designer. It turns out the long hours she spent alone in the theater weren't as lonesome as she thought they were.
2: Apparently the wardrobe was notorious for, um, for sightings and happenings because uh, where our fitting room was uh, uh, used to be a stairway that would go right down to the stairs, and, and, he, and he would go up and down those stairs. He liked to check out the ladies. So you know, there's a rich history of of him, particularly like liking women. I seem to always have these things happen when I was working with another uh, worker. Uh, we would be alone in the room together, and um, things would um, materialize or or manifest themselves. The warder was divided into two fa- sections. One. Uh, on one side of the elevator and one on the other and the section where we keep uh, jewelry and hair ornaments were uh, are on the uh, one side and the big wardrobe where everybody makes things is on the other so I was working in the big wardrobe and I kept thinking oh I have to go get the box of hair decorations that I need to pull those and So I would walk across and it was like the elevator would take my brain and nothing existed. And I'd get to the other room and I'd think, well, what was I here for? Oh, I wanted to pick up some this or this or this. And I'd come back and sit down and think, oh, my goodness, I... Uh, you know, it was that kind of day. I was busy. I'd get over to the other room and I'd forget I was getting the, the ornaments. And that happened three times. And so I came back, I sat down and I, I said to my w- worker who was way at the far end of the room, I said, oh, I've forgotten that, those hair ornaments again. And we heard a loud crash right behind me in the not uh, in the fitting room. And I went into the fitting room I went, what was that? And it was the box of hair ornaments, and they had just fallen from somewhere and were lying all over the floor. We both acknowledged that something pretty special had happened, that these, these hair ornaments had come flying from somewhere, but,
1: <laughs> but where? These types of occurrences aren't anything new. Stories dating back to the theater's first renovations during the 1970s sparked even more unusual stories.
0: One of the great stories I love from the 1970s renovation is uh, if you've been in the Grand Theater before, you know, there's this really beautiful proscenium arch um, that was that was built in the theater. It's really, uh, really beautiful. It goes uh, across the top of the stage. In the 1970s, there's this story that Ambrose Small, the ghost, saved the arch. Because what was happening is there was a heavy equipment operator who was operating uh, machinery on stage to clear out some debris uh, and some boxes and things. And he would start up the machine, go a little ways, and then it would just stop. The machine would completely shut down. And they were really confused by this. And they said, okay, well, let's just, you know, back it up, try again. So they tried again. It would start and stop totally. Totally. And then they did this a third time and finally they just went okay there's something weird going on so they stopped what they were doing and sort of took a look around what they found out is had they proceeded had they gone and moved the things they were planning on moving they actually would have destroyed uh, the few structural bricks that were supporting the proscenium arch so the whole arch would have been destroyed everything would have fallen down if they had done what they were planning to do so they they always thought that uh, Ambrose Small stopped the heavy equipment from operating and from proceeding and from wrecking his beautiful arch.
1: On one hand, this appears to have saved a significant piece of the building. But as we hear from Bonnie Deacon, not all occurrences were helpful.
2: The biggest thing was that I started getting my name called uh, and, um, and it would whisper to me... Oh, and it was always in this ear, in my uh, left ear. And um, I thought I was going crazy. I, for the first time it happened, I was standing over the dive at and I think the water was running when I heard my name called. And I thought it was someone calling from the other room. So I, I called over, what, what? And they were like, what, what? <laughs> I said, who's calling me? And they said, no one. So I thought, well, I didn't really hear that. I That must have been just the sound of the water swooshing and I thought I heard my name, a couple of days later, I was sitting in my office, and I got tapped on the shoulder, and, uh, for the same reason, I thought, oh, that must be a nerve ending or something twitching, and when I, when I kind of rubbed it off, I, uh, the next time, I got tapped again, and that time, I knew it was a tap, it was a tap, and then my name was whispered in my ear again, and, uh, I, I recognized that there was something quite extraordinary happening. I had no idea who this was whispering in my ear. It was the same sound every time. It was always, Bonnie, Bonnie. Well, then um, I, I was downstairs in the basement. with We were doing fittings for the high school project. And we had a group of teenagers in the room. And my assistant and... I was standing in the doorway and I got called in that ear again and uh, no one heard it except one girl who was sitting across the room and she looked at me and she said, what was that? I said, oh, you heard something, did you? What did you hear? And then she repeated, it said, Bonnie, Bonnie. So i then well then i was like okay i'm not a crazy person i am being uh, i am being uh, called for some reason what reason i don't know i think it was just to reassure me that uh that there is something beyond death you know i'd had a few tragic deaths uh, in my family and uh and was always questioning whether they heard me or whether they knew i was there or whatever and uh and um and uh, it really I felt it really helped me
1: to understand Is your skin crawling yet? There are other spots that Ambrose frequents in the theater as well, a few of his favorites while he was living.
0: There was one moment when I was watching a performance of silence that uh, it's going to sound strange, but I feel like I saw someone standing in the balcony at stage right, which is thought to be Ambrose's place. That was his balcony. And there are stories that sometimes he shows up there to watch shows or he'll show up in another part of the audience and uh, a a theater seat will come down and he'll watch a rehearsal and then it it will go up later. So they, they think he's there watching the uh, show. But during this, um, Performance of silence. I looked over and there were audience members sitting in that balcony, but I saw someone or I felt like I saw someone standing directly behind those people. And it was not a scary feeling at all. I just sort of looked at this light and said, well, hi, hi, how are you? And, and it seemed really weird to me that the people sitting there com- were completely oblivious to this. Like, they didn't see it at all. And then a the next moment, they was gone. But I just sort of felt like, I felt like I got permission to tell the story from Ambrose or someone
1: um, in that moment. The most unnerving part about Ambrose's sightings is that they've been corroborated several times. I did see him
2: sitting I, uh, as a sort of vaporous shape uh, uh, in the in the box um on um stage uh, uh right um and uh that was during a production of um, Live spirit and uh and it was uh during the séance and this uh, shape was sitting in the chair in the box and it was definitely a male shape and top top hat on Uh, but it was see-through it was like a very you know and I saw I saw him there two nights in a row and then I never saw him again.
1: And sometimes the ghost is keeping up with current events.
2: I was working late at night and I was alone in the building which isn't always a great thing but I was just alone in the wardrobe and I could hear the sound of newspaper turning and I thought that is weird. I just got a kind of creepy feeling, and decided I think it's time to go home. So I went home, and the next uh, day or so, I was talking to my assistant, who who uh, uh, has worked there for many many years, and she had seen the ghost. Talked about the ghost. She had. She knew. Uh, all kinds of stories about the ghost. So we were just talking, and I wasn't talking about this sound I heard. I just said to her, "Well, like, tell me some of the times that you encountered him." And she said, uh, "He used to be in here every morning when I came to work, and he was sitting over there reading his paper. I could hear it turning." And, uh, then, of course, my you know my skin got all goosey, and and uh, I went, "Oh, okay." That was, I know what that was. Uh, So so that was the first sort of acknowledgement on my part, that there was something.
1: If only Ambrose Small could summon the energy to voice something other than whispering an individual name. There are so many lingering questions about his story. Where did he go? What happened to him? How does someone so high profile and recognizable vanish into thin air? leaving nothing but speculation and theories of his location behind. Why return to the Grand Theatre? Why even leave in the first place? It does go towards painting a piece of London history with a coat of mystery, and it definitely creates an irresistible allure to the place, as one of the few public and active haunts in the area. It also makes the opening night of Trina's play, Grand Ghosts, an either must-go or an anywhere-but type of event. Will he make his presence felt on stage right as his life is depicted before his eyes? When the play comes to its eventual end, will he stand and clap with the audience, or will he fade away back to the comfort of his private staircase, continuing to make himself known through faint whispers in the ears of the late-night workers?
0: This episode of the Blackburn News Podcast was written by Jessica Stokes, Haley Chang, Patrick Magerman's, and Craig Needles. It was produced by Craig Needles. Remember, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at blackburnnews.com. The Blackburn News Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.